Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Today's guest is life coach Dr. Brooke Harmon. Don't sleep on this episode, though. There's a lot of relevant advice for comedians and actors coming. But first... I want you to know that there is a post up on the website covering every festival with open submissions in March. If you're looking to perform stand-up improv sketch and or more at a fest, then go to thereitispod.com and check that post out. While you're there, check out ways you can support the podcast. Also wanted to let you know that a former guest, Sean Cantatori, has a one-woman variety show she wrote and stars in this Sunday at The Magnet at 9 p.m. And former guest Shannon Kariki is in it as well, so go check that out. On to today's guest, we met in college, and she is a delight. She has a Ph.D., is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and has a slew of degrees, so she knows what she's talking about. We have a really great talk, and I think you can learn a lot from it. So here's my chat with Dr. Brooke Harmon. Uh, it's just nice to see you. I know. I've been seeing you since our like run in at the. I know. <laughs> and, and that now was a long time ago. Oh, you know, know, like not 10 years, but so like five years ago. Something like five. that. And I, yeah. I just realized that the other day that it's been five years since I've seen you. And, um, it, and that was the first time we'd seen each other in. 15 years <laughs> probably yeah we're, we're definitely aging ourselves now yeah we don't look like it's been 20 years since we were in undergrad but i know well i will say you look the exact same <laughs> and people <laughs> from well so i was just about to say people will say i do too and i yeah. i get why they're saying it but you truly look the same <laughs> so good on you i don't That's know what you're doing well, you can't see the gray hair. That's that's all it is. Well, so. gosh, yeah, I think I've got some of those too. <laughs> that's all. That's the least we can say that you know we're doing all right. <laughs> right, we're doing right. All right. <laughs> well, we're old friends, and uh, I've always really appreciated you, and so I'm really excited to share with people what you have going on. But there is one very big question that I have to ask about the life coach world, and it's what it is because. I feel like many people, myself included, uh, got a lot of our knowledge of life coaching from sitcoms and movies. So <laughs> dispel all the myths, explain what is really life coaching. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think everybody probably has a different, slightly different definition. And I think a lot of folks who are coaches have different niches. And so that probably changes a little bit about kind of how they would define themselves. But, you know, I, I really think of it as like, I help with adulting, you know, we mm -hmm. get all this like education when we're kids and when we're adolescents and when we're young adults and we get help and we have those networks around us who are kind of helping us kind of navigate these transitions 
conversations. And then I feel like you get into your late twenties, your thirties, your forties, your fifties, and nobody's around to like tell you're you on your own. To <laughs> you're on your own. You're out there <laughs> on your own adulting by yourself. And, and I know like I've picked up like habits and like ways in which I manage stress, ways in which I navigate, you know, work-life balance, like ways in which I just navigate all the, you know, like negative thoughts and like all the things that kind of come with like being an adult. And sometimes I developed good habits sometimes and good strategies. Sometimes I've developed bad habits and bad strategies. And so um, life coaching is really just around, you know, helping people who have identified a particular area in which they want strategies and skills to better navigate. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's just doing that. So it's, you know, you you hire a personal trainer when you want to learn how to do exercises, you hire a voice coach when you want to, you know, perfect your singing or your speaking, you hire a life coach to help you with those adulting hacks. So that's how I see it. That's an awesome way to put it. And also just, you know, that you're a professional because of the way you say work-life balance, because professionals say it with that emphasis, but I always say like work hyphen life balance. You know, it's like, I don't, I I only see it written, but professionals say it the way you just said it. So that's good. Um, Navigating, trying to figure out that work-life balance. What is that? We're in good hands with you. Uh, also, you know, something you mentioned about when you get into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and sometimes even your 20s, in all honesty, uh, people just sort of leave you out to, <laughs> to dry, essentially. And it made me think of that whole concept of uh, the real world. And, you know, it wasn't really – and I'm – you know, I'm a – everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a John Mayer fan. But, I, I, you know, I'm still slightly ashamed to say that I realized that that was kind of a myth from his song, There's No Such Thing as the Real World, where I thought, wait a minute, yeah, we've always been in the real world. Just because I was in grade school or college doesn't mean I wasn't partaking in the real world. But that whole mentality has made people, when they get out of college and they start seeing... Uh, the world out of school, out of being under their parents' house, having those early life coaches <laughs> you know, that that their parents are and being kind of hung out to dry, you know, that is an issue, that term, you know, saying, oh, the real world, because it does say like, ah, oh, welcome to the real world. Here's a stack of papers you have to do and you're not going to get any help with it. I mean, that that has to be something that you find Uh, yourself having to combat, maybe not directly, but at least indirectly when you are trying to coach someone. Yeah. And so I I think to, you know, just kind of when we were talking about like, what would, you know, what we talk about on this podcast and stuff, you know, one of the things you asked was like, why did I get into life coaching? And, you know, my, my day job, you know, life coaching is like my side hustle. My day job is being a professor. And so, you know, I, I, I interact all the time with the 20 somethings and, you know, the teen somethings and, you know, and, and I find that a lot of what I do and what I find rewarding is, you know, the more mentoring, the more, okay, you're getting a degree. Now, what are you going to do with this degree? Or I'm in this program because my parents told me that this is a great way to make a living, but I don't really like being in this program, uh, you know, or I thought that this was the next step was to go to graduate school or to go, you know, get a doctorate. And now I'm not sure about that, you know, and that's, that's the stuff that, you know, 
it's the real world. You know, it was it was the real world in high school and college. But now it's I think at that time point, people are kind of I don't know people kind of come in my office and have like a, a look on their face. It's like, oh, like I have to start thinking about like the rest of my life now mm-hmm. and like what that means and like what are my goals and who am I as an individual, not who am I as my parents or my friends or my, you know, the people I grew up with. But now here I am in this new environment and now who am I and how do I want to live and what are my goals and like what are the expectations I have for myself? And so I think for folks, you know, there, there are different transitions when we face that. I think some of that is in our 20s. But, you know, like right now, you know, I have um, people who are, are our age um, and in their <laughs> mid-30s and such that are also kind of they've had a job for a while. And now they're like, huh, I want to do something different. Like, I, I want to, you know, I want to get a new skill set. I want to direct, you know, I want to do something that's more out of a lab with people now instead. And so helping people navigate that too, it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like that world has shifted a little bit. And now what is like, what do I want my new kind of reality to be? And that can be a little bit disconcerting for people and disorienting. And how do you figure that out? And it's hard to do it by yourself, I think. Gosh, yeah, that is the thing. You aren't kind of doing it by yourself and you're thrown in there with the lions, essentially. And uh, I mean, I guess that's why they call it the quarter life crisis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is something I haven't heard that phrase in a while, but uh, there is that that is at least a placeholder term for that moment that you're talking about that like, oh, Mm -hmm. I have to think about a lot more than I realized. And but I I think that happens every 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and I think. And I think, too, it's just part of society today. I mean, I think I think we were probably told this. I, I think I remember hearing it when we were in college, this idea that, like, our parents and our grandparents maybe had a job, and that was their job for, like, their entire life. And we are in a generation where that is not necessarily the case, like, that we've all had different iterations of our career and our life trajectory. Um, and, you know, generations to come, I think that's even more the case that they're going to have, you know, more change, they're going to expect to have more change, they're not going to expect to stay in the same job for their entire life, they're going to expect to have changes in not only job, but like just career focus and career directory, trajectory. And so how you navigate that, um, you know, I think is is important. And I think how you you handle the navigation, how you think about it, like that can be very stressful for some folks. It can be very, very like, you know, oh, do I need a whole new skill set? Like, I don't know how to write a resume for this type of job. I don't know even now where to find jobs that are, you know, X, Y, Z that I'm looking for. And so I think that can be can be really overwhelming sometimes for, for folks. And I think that that's just going to get more, going to be the more the case. Change is going to be just part of our society. And so how do we learn to handle that change? Yeah. And I, you know, there's, I guess, plenty to say about how, access to information because of the internet can help people with that. But experiencing something is always going to be different than reading about it. So, uh, but at least you get the heads up. Um, So we're talking a lot about what you can help. How do you help people um, when, when they are coming to you and they, and they need a, a life coach, what are some things that you would start pinpointing for them? 
So I think a lot of, so I think one to you, maybe it's a misconception or just people kind of not knowing what a life coach does is, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's here to like solve your problem. So right. if you're coming to me for career coaching, like I'm not the one that's going to go find you a new job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be the person who like asks you the questions that, you know, you maybe haven't asked yourself about what are the things you like value most? You know, what is it about your current job that's making you unhappy? What, you know, do you see as like the ideal day for yourself in, you know, some unknown future job? And through that dialogue, really kind of helping pinpoint areas that, you know, I feel like sometimes when we start talking out loud, we start having those aha moments that, you know, we didn't have before. And so, you know, a coach is somebody who can um, pull that out, elicit that information and really kind of help start pinpointing, oh, you know, it is this that I want. It is I want to be able to have my weekends free. It is that I want to be able to be off at five o'clock. It is that I want to have creative, um, a, a creative outlet in my job. Uh, you know, helping to identify those things that maybe weren't kind of um, easily identifiable before. And then I think also a coach is someone who who holds space to just listen um, and really you know be someone who's there for folks to talk about their struggles, to talk about what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, and then also to be somebody who's there to hold accountability. So if mm. their goals or their action steps that you're taking, you know, You've got that weekly, biweekly, once a month, you know, per, like contact and that person who's going to say, OK, so how'd you do on X, Y, Z, you know, that you were going to do in between our visits? You know, how did you know, developing that resume go? How did, you know, creating, you know, this small step or action plan go? And so you have that accountability person as well. Hmm. So differentiate. And, I, and I'm hearing a differentiation between a life coach and a therapist. And there's, you know, obviously with the psychologist as well. Um, what are the things that you would pinpoint? Because you are going to listen. That's what a therapist is going to do. And you are going to uh, hold them accountable about certain things. But I imagine in a different way than a therapist might. Yeah. And I think therapy really kind of more gets into the realm of, you know, kind of, I think about, so, you know, my background is as a dietitian. And so I think about, you know, there's a difference between a dietitian who is working with like a medical diagnosis, like you have irritable bowel syndrome, or you have hypertension, or you have diabetes. There's just, there's a different way you approach that than if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, I want to eat healthier. Hey, I'm trying to, you know, incorporate wellness. There's just a way you approach, um, you know, trying to help a particular condition um, versus how you kind of help somebody grow into kind of more holistic wellness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the distinction between therapy and coaching. Coaching isn't really trying to help someone with a specified condition or diagnosis or disorder. That's where, you know, the medical degrees and the background and specific, you know, therapies and specific conditions comes in. Coaching is really more helping somebody add skills and, um, you know, and really enhance wellness um, from a whole holistic point of view. 
Okay, that's good. That's a good distinction because someone might, even after hearing this, maybe go to a life coach thinking that they needed certain things from them that they maybe actually should go to a therapist for. Right. And there's, you know, there's definitely therapists who are also coaches, coaches who are also licensed therapists. You know, I know in my training and then just in conversations with other coaches who, who did a similar training, we're, we're definitely taught to, you know, when somebody comes in, you know, there's always like a kind of an intake questionnaire, kind of what are you hoping to get out of this? Like, what is your experience been with coaching? What's your experience been with therapy? So knowing whether somebody is in therapy or has gone, um, has um, been in therapy before, and then also just kind of knowing what they're wanting to get out of it, um, coaching, what their goals are, and then starting those initial conversations, you can pretty much tell when somebody needs therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and what they're, the issues that they're struggling with and the things that they're needing help with are beyond my skill set. And so that's when, you know, I have been taught and would definitely tell um, someone that, hey, I think you need it. I think you need therapy and that's not what I'm, you know, capable of doing. That's beyond my skill set. So, you know, feel free to, you know, we can do coaching around X, Y, and Z, but for these things, I think you need to, to see a therapist. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely, I feel like somebody who is a legit on the up and up coach would, would have that conversation with somebody who they thought needed therapy. I think there's a real need for this and I don't know how, many people would necessarily have access to it. But I, I do see the benefit in somebody getting a life coach because that there is that person who can help motivate you and keep you accountable for things that you want to achieve. And so many, I feel like everybody has something that they want to achieve that they're, for lack of a better term, failing at achieving. And having that person who can help equip them would be so useful to so many people and and that goes as you were saying you know it's a different thing than therapy and it's it's a different thing than some of the other people that maybe we interact with on a regular basis like a life coach is saying like oh here's here are some action steps for you to accomplish that thing and i'm gonna motivate and and be here for you to help encourage you to accomplish that but you know a lot of people are just sort of saying, well, I want to lose weight and I'll read this blog. And then they just have a hard time using what they read uh, in in some sort of way that's helpful for them. Yeah. And I think, too, a lot of times, you know, we go to our friends for, hey, I'm trying to do X, Y and Z mm-hmm. or, you know, you, you, we rely on those friendships to kind of be that, you know, maybe accountability or to be that listening space. But your friends are there to be, you know, your friends are your friends, you mm-hmm. know, and they're, mm-hmm. they're going to be on your side. They're not going to, I mean, we all have that friend that will mm-hmm. ask the hard questions, but most of our friends are like, yeah, you know, I totally agree. Your work sucks. And yeah, you do need to take vacations. And yeah, you do need to do, you know, find a new job or yeah, like let's, you know, you know, yeah, you, you can eat healthier, but they're not there to really provide you practical steps. They're mm-hmm. not there to be your accountability. Most of the time, they're not there to really question some of the statements that you may make or say, 
you know, is that true? You know, mm-hmm. is that, you know, can you know that that statement is true? And that sort of stuff. And that's what, a, you know, a coach really does is kind of ask those hard questions and, and hold you accountable. And, and it's also, you know, there to, to provide some evidence-based, you know, guidance where, you know, that's, that's not just some, that's not something that our friends are there for. Our friends are there as our support system, right. but they're not always that practical slash, rational slash ask the hard questions person. Right. I mentioned wanting to lose weight and motivation. And there was something that I posed to you off mic about this particular topic, because it's one of those things like losing weight. It can be one of those things. I feel like you need a lot of motivation for it, but it's hard to get the right motivation sometimes to actually see it through. So what sort of advice do you have for people in that kind of position that they have a goal that they want to achieve, but they are not in the headspace to have the motivation to actually achieve their goal? So, I, you know, it always would depend on the, the person. But, you know, I think that first question I would ask is, you know, so tell me more about this desire to lose weight, um, you know, and really trying to get at what is the underlying reasoning behind it? Um, because I think that then gives you a lot of space to then determine, you know, why and what and next steps. The other thing, too, is just, you know, I think part of it is is really a lot of times we have a desire, we have a goal, and we don't always question the why. And we don't always question the what has held us up in the past. And I think that's really important. And I think that's a, a key part of, of coaching. I think past that, the other part that I would say about, you know, motivation and slash willpower, which sometimes gets used, especially when we're talking about weight and diet and physical activity, mm-hmm. is we put a lot of emphasis on that. We put a lot of emphasis on, I'm going to have the willpower to do this. I'm going to have the motivation to do this. And our brains don't really work that way. Um, So, you know, we're not really good at long-term. Like we are, we are creatures who like instant gratification. We're easily distracted. You know, if we don't have that positive reinforcement, we can just totally give up on something. And so, I think a lot of times we have to not think about, you know, a lot of our goals as motivation and willpower and think about it more as, okay, this is something I want to incorporate. This is something that has value to me. This is something that is core to who I am and what I want in my life and where I see my life going forward. And then we have to think about, okay, how do I do that? How do I make that happen? Is this is what I have identified as going to add quality to my life? How do I make this part of my everyday existence? It's not like, oh, I have to have motivation to not eat chocolate cake for the next month. It's like, no, I want to be healthy. That's who I am. That's where I need to be. And then what does healthy means to me? How does that look on a day-to-day basis? What are small steps that I take? I, I think there's just a different mindset we have to get in around things like having willpower, having motivation when it comes to weight and weight-related behaviors and kind of lifestyle. Yeah, that's very true, especially when it comes to uh, weight loss, because so much of the reason people want to is because not because they actually need to lose weight, not for health reasons, but because of 
you know, watching some model on television <laughs> or on Instagram and just sort of feeling shame that they shouldn't feel. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're, we're definitely in a society that, you know, we make a lot of comparisons. We make a lot of comparisons that, you know, we're, we're never going to live up to that expectation or that ideal that we see on social media. And so I think a lot of conversations around weight and around diet and physical activity have to acknowledge that, have to acknowledge how much of that is, is not only motivating or, you know, the kind of the underlying reason why I want to lose weight or why I want to, you know, change, you know, aesthetically, but also, you know, just what that means for the goals that you're setting, you know, are those unrealistic goals because you're, you're, you know, you're using some sort of external focus some sort of social media, you know, image or kind of media image about what, what is ideal. And you're trying to live up to that ideal versus, you know, what, what do you want? What is going to make you happy? What is going to be, you know, beneficial in your life. Um, and so, you know, sometimes when people are coming to me, um, especially wanting, you know, weight, um, advice or diet advice, um, it's like, give me the diet prescription, you know, just make me a whole bunch of menus out and then that's what I'll do. And I'm like, no, like that, that's not really what we do here. Right. <laughs> so right. That's not it. So those are some of the mistakes that people can make in going into a life coach is that you're going to do a lot of the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. That's that is that's got to be something that you deal with a lot as well as people assuming. I mean, it's, there's so many things that people go into thinking it's going to be a, a miracle cure or something like that, where it's it's going to be easy. But you know, life coaching. You know, let's let's think about that <laughs> that term coach. There, coaches aren't coaching people who uh, don't have to do anything. I mean, coaches are <laughs> historically people who are training somebody to work hard. There's a lot of discipline involved for the participant. It's not the, the coach doesn't do the work. The player does the work. The person does the work. So I imagine when it comes to life coaching, that's there every once in a while, there are people that you run into. You have to sort of say like, hey, there's a lot that you have to do here. Yeah, no, they're definitely, I think, part of the decision to, to get a, a coach, a life coach. And, you know, whether that's, you know, you're, you're choosing to do like a career coach or a wellness coach or just more general, a life coach is, am I willing to do some hard work? Am I willing to question some of my beliefs um, about like what what is right and what is wrong in my life? What is helpful? What is unhelpful? Um, you know, so much of kind of what I hear initially um, when when people are talking to me about wanting a life coach or wanting to work with me, um, it's just a lot of, you know, negative thoughts mm -hmm. and like negative cycles of thoughts and, you know, limit what we sometimes call limiting beliefs. So, you know, we just we have a set of beliefs or we have a set of things in which we think are the way the world is or the way the world works. And we have to be willing to question that and question whether that's true or not. And if it's not true, then how do we kind of reframe those thoughts and rethink about some of the situations in our life that we've always perceived as a barrier? Um, but maybe it's not been an actual barrier. It's just been our mental thought process around it has been a barrier. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially going to take equipping people to sort of see what those barriers are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And being willing to question, being willing to take a step out aside and be like, okay, you know, 
X, Y, you know, and, and even in little things, you know, like relationships, you know, with saying, you know, oh, X, Y, Z person, you know, they, you know, slighted me in some way. They, you know, disregarded me or undervalued me in some way. I'm so mad. This makes me so frustrated. And, you know, and then just asking, is that true? Like, do you know that person undervalued you? Well, they did this, this and that. And, you know, and making somebody say yes or no, do you know this to be true? Um, can, can you, a lot of times we have to say no, like, I don't know that to be true. That's my perception of how that person is treating me. But I do not know that this person just didn't have a bad day, that this person isn't dealing with their own struggles and that's bled into like how they're interacting with me. You never know. We get wrapped up in ourselves and we very much think that everything is centers around us. And so sometimes we have to stop and say, hold on a second. Like, is that true? Um, let me like question some of these beliefs. You know, is it true that I'll never lose weight? Is it true that I'll never be healthy? Is it true that I don't have time to be physically active? You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. we have to like question those and we don't, we don't always want to question some of these long held beliefs. Yeah. And it's so helpful, especially to answer that question you were talking about, but to get the, the, the question about why do I want to do this? I mean, when you get to questions like that and you start figuring these sort of things out, it's so helpful because when I've answered that question, it really put things on a certain level for me that uh, sparked ideas. Mm-hmm. That led to a lot of accomplishment for me because I thought, oh, well, okay, then I shouldn't mess with all this stuff that's keeping me from what I'm really trying to do here. Or I should just overlook things like, like with the weight thing. Like uh, I want to lose weight and uh, I've gone up and down since moving to New York and I've had stages where I was good about going to the gym and not having any sugar and stuff like that. Uh, And then times where I just absolutely was not. But when I sort of, think about it from the standpoint of like, well, why do I even want to do this? Then it helps me overlook the sort of negative thoughts that come out sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, like certain things that just don't matter to me. Like, for instance, let's just keep it on weight. Like if the reason I want to lose weight is for health reasons, then when I start getting down on myself saying like, oh, I look so terrible, I'll never lose weight. I can easily say, well, I'm not doing it for that. I'm not like... Justina thinks I look fine. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe I don't need to be so caught up in how I look. I'm doing it for health reasons. So I won't even allow this negative thought about how I look demotivate me. Yeah. I should find the fact that, you know, I have a goal I want to accomplish for a bigger reason, motivate me. Yeah. And so what you just did, so there's, um, there's a lady by the name of Byron Katie, and she has something you your listeners can Google Byron Katie, the work. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, so she has this worksheet and it basically asks you to have like a limiting belief, you know, to state a limiting belief. And it can be, and part of coaching um, can help people kind of go through this process. And it can be helpful to get somebody to really help distill, you know, what is the limiting belief? Like what is the belief, this negative thought that you're having? And if it's this, you know, I don't look good because I'm overweight, you know, maybe that's limiting belief. And what you did is you just did a turnaround, which is, you know, I do look good. So 
that those types of turnarounds are ways that we can reframe negative beliefs um, around things like weight or the way in which we're going, you know, our failure, quote unquote, to, you know, achieve a particular behavior or achieve a particular goal. Um, Because a lot of times we can go down that rabbit hole of, you know, oh, you know, I don't look good. Oh, I'm fat. Oh, I need to be skinnier. Oh, my clothes, you know, mm-hmm. make me fat. Like that, like one negative thought can add, like, you know, we can just keep adding a whole story around that negative thought instead of stopping it, turning it around to the positive and moving on with life. We just kind of get into that cycle. And so, so a lot of folks haven't built up the, just the mental kind of techniques to say, kind of stop a negative thought and move away from it and kind of transition to, to, you know, no, this is my purpose. This is what I really want to do or, or acknowledge "Ah, it's that pesky negative thought. You know, it's that pesky Mm -hmm. thought of like, I look fat today that we're, thank you for your time, but I'm going to put you to the side now. So I think coaching really can help build up some of that um, ability to, to kind of break apart some of those negative thoughts and move them to the side. So you can focus because that can really be, you know, a barrier for folks. They kind of get in this negative story and they're like, oh, I'm just giving up. Like I ate chocolate cake today. I didn't go to the gym. I'm up three pounds on the scale. This is never going to work. So I'm just giving up. I'm stopping. Like I'm not even trying anymore. And so if you can break that pattern and be like, nope, today is just a day. Tomorrow is another day. You know, tomorrow I'm going mm-hmm. to yoga. Tomorrow I'm going to go run. Tomorrow I'm going to eat that salad instead of the chocolate cake. You know, then you can move forward instead of kind of getting mired in this negative story and not being able to move on. Great. And and there are a few things there. Number one, I've nailed this life coaching thing because I just did that technical thing you mentioned. And I, yeah. I didn't even know it. I'm I'm a natural. No, you but ready, um, ready for side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm a, I'm a natural to get life coaching. I don't mean to be a life coach. Um, another thing that came to mind, though, when you were talking was learning new techniques and how you have to switch up those techniques, I bet. Because when I was 23, I remember when I was working in radio, one of the stations down the hall, I would go into and talk to my friend Stacy. And when I would leave, there was a, a poster of Ashton Kutcher in like a, a tank top or something on the wall. And I, I could not see it when I left the room. And every time I saw it, I was like, I got to get in shape. That guy looks, he looks good. I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta do something about this. And that actually motivated me at that time. Mm -hmm. But now I would just feel shame and be like, uh, Ashton Kutcher looks that way, but I never could or whoever the person on Instagram is. So there are different techniques, I guess, that you have to use to motivate somebody even for the same thing. Yeah. And I think that all comes from the person too, Mm -hmm. you know? the person and what they what they identify as, you know, who they are, you know, who at their essential self, 
what are their values? What are their goals? What are the things that they hold? You know, like this is who I am, you know, and, and depending on what that is, you know, for somebody that may be, Hey, I'm a fashionista. Like that is who I am. Like I want to like, I love clothes. I say this because I'm speaking from personal experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love clothes. I like much of my disposable income goes to clothing. Like (laughs) I want to be, you know, on trend and fashion forward and whatever. And so if that is what at heart is, you know, motivate somebody to, you know, then, then you need to take that into consideration versus if somebody says, you know, I just want to be able to run with my kids and not get out of breath. I want to be able to keep up, you know, and have an active lifestyle and incorporate that with my kids. Like that's a whole different set of strategies and that's a whole different set of conversation that you're going to have. And so, so it does depend on the person and what they value and where they're coming from. And some of that is different points in life. Um, And some of that is just like personal values and personal kind of, this is who I am. And this is what matters to me as to, you know, what, what is motivational or not. Um, You know, for me, it does matter. You know, if I get to the point where I can't fit in clothes, like I'm like, "Mm, reality check, because we are not buying a new wardrobe. And that actually like legitimately motivates me. It Mm. may not motivate other people at all, but it legitimately like that is something, you know, I put a lot of effort into. And so I'm not buying a whole new, you know, identity and wardrobe just because I've gained weight. So that's one thing. It's not the only thing, but it's one piece that factors in to whether I get up at six in the morning and go run or not. So, but everybody's going to have a different set of values and everybody. Right. And some people dealing with like, if they were to put on a pair of pants they used to wear and they think, Oh gosh, I can't wear this or I'm having such a hard time getting this on now. And they, they would feel shame. Mm-hmm. So how do you combat that when people start bringing shame into it? Yeah. And then that's where you have to get at the heart of shame. You know, what is motive? Like what is bringing that shame? Cause it is not that one pair of pants, like right. that one pair of pants didn't tell you were fat and not worth anything. Somebody at some point made you feel shame. And so you have to get at the root of that and really uncover that and really work through that. And that, you know, depending on people that may be a place where, you know, you, they can't work through it with a coach. They need a therapist. Um, it just depends on where that shame comes from and how, you know, deep rooted and layered it is for some people. It can be just recognizing that, Hey, this causes me shame and I need to talk through this. Um, but for some people that, that may actually you know, need something more than coaching. Hmm. Mm, I like it. Let's talk a little about how, I don't know if you've worked with any entertainers. Have you, been a life coach for any actors or musicians? No, I have not worked with in that though. My folks are all academics mm-hmm. and wanting to work from, you know, chronic disease standpoint and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So no, talk to me about actors and such. Well, we do have, I know we have a lot of comedians and actors and uh, you know, musicians, performers listening and a lot of people who are not any of those things <laughs> who are listening, but 
for an actor, uh, I'll put it in that terms, like someone who is uh, going for a career in entertainment, I think one of the main things that you're going to deal with is rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a stand-up, when you go on stage, every time you go on stage, you might get a little rejection. A joke might go okay, but not as well as you thought it would go. That's a form of rejection, it feels like, you know, as someone who's been in that position a number of times. I feel like I've logged 10,000 hours at not getting laughs. But... Um, there's also like as an actor, like I went to an audition today. I feel like I bombed that audition. I just I was doing all of the stereotypical dumb things, that, you know, like people say actors do. And I just I don't think I did well at all with it, you know, and so much of acting, you go into it knowing that you're going to get no a lot. And mm-hmm. so you sort of adjust your thinking uh, so that doesn't affect you so much. But. You're still trying to move forward. You know, I still moved to New York City. I still want to do well. So there's a limited amount of time I feel like I have to uh, have these sort of failures, uh, so to speak. How would you try to address that with someone that uh, is coming to you for life coaching needs? So I think it would be a couple of different things. You know, one may be someone comes to me and they, you know, they tell me that, you know, their main struggle right now is the stress of, of being rejected um, and dealing with the emotional kind of stress of that. Somebody may come and say, hey, you know, this emotional stress of being rejected, but then I'm also, com- you know, worrying about because I keep, you know, not getting, you know, auditions or I'm not getting the job that I'm auditioning for, or I'm not doing well, you know, when I am doing stand up, and so then I'm not getting asked back, you know, and that's like impacting me financially. And so like that, you know, is causing me a lot of stress. Some people, you know, you may be working with a client, you know, over time, and they may come to me and say, hey, like I got, I had a horrible, you know, audition or I had a horrible like stand up set and like I need to talk through that. And so just depending on what, you know, what aspect, you know, people are bringing to this session would depend on, you know, how we would work through it. But, you know, a lot of it is getting to kind of what, like, what is this when you are getting that rejection? Like, what is that bringing up for you? What, Mm -hmm. you know, what feelings does that bring up? What, like memories does that bring up? What thought process does that bring up? And then can we break that apart so that you can kind of take a step away from it and kind of disengage a little bit emotionally from it and kind of work through, okay, this is, this is the thought process that happens when I get rejected. This is the story I tell myself when I get rejected. And when you can start to identify, this is the story, this is the thought process, then you can start recognizing that when it happens the next time and recognizing it when it happens, that it is a story. And then you can start disengaging from that story. And so I think that when we talk about having a thick skin, Mm -hmm. that's really what, what that means. Mm -hmm. That means it's not that you're like impervious to it. It's not that you're like, you don't care. It's just that you realize that when you have rejection, you're telling yourself a particular story. And when you develop that quote unquote thick skin, you're able to disengage from that story or to at least identify, hey, I'm telling myself that rejection story again. Um, And that's not true. And I know it's not true. And so I'm going to set that story aside and move on. And I think that 
what is what we consider to, you know, to be that thick skin. And, you know, some of us develop that easily. We're, we're able to kind of develop that natural naturally. And some people aren't. And I think a life coach is really someone who can help you kind of tease apart the emotional with the thought process, with the story and help you kind of disengage from that. When you, you experience that, um, you know, whether that's post audition or kind of, event or pre because sometimes people you start telling yourself that rejection story before you've even auditioned and mm-hmm. then that impacts how you go into it and how you perform and so you know helping you both not engage with that rejection story to begin with and then not engage you know afterwards as well mm. this is what's so encouraging about what i'm taking from this is that there are so many tools that we have at our disposal to use to deal with a lot of the junk that we deal with on a daily basis and think that there's no hope for. There actually is hope for it. Yeah, I think we I think we feel like, you know, and I and have this mindset that eh, this is just part of it. Like this is just something I have to deal with. This is just one of the, you know, this is something that's part of the job or part of what I've signed up for. And you know, we can't get rid of it altogether. I mean, it's always going to sting when a joke doesn't hit. It's always going to sting when you don't get a call back. Like it's always going to sting. You know, it always stings for me in research when I submit like my grant, my little baby, and it comes back with like ripped to shreds. Like that always stings, you know, you're putting, you're uncovering, you're, you're taking off your armor, you're showing your soft belly, you're putting it out there for the world. That's always going to sting when somebody rejects you. But But do we allow that sting to be momentary or do we allow that to grow and fester and start to infiltrate, you know, a lot of aspects of our our life? And I think if we can learn, there's a lot of techniques and a lot of ways that we can help to not let it grow and fester. It's a sting. We recognize that it's a sting and we move on. And that's, you know, that's that part of adulting that we don't always get taught. And so that I think is, is a really important point. It's not, you're going to get rid of the rejection. It's not that you're not going to feel the hurt. It's, can you develop those skills and techniques to, to handle it better and not like kind of have it grow and develop into something bigger. Mm. It's such a good um, argument for emotional growth. You know, <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's so many things it's very popular right now. I feel like in culture, to just ignore the things that feel bad and push back on that stuff and or, or people who want you to address things. But it's good to address things because it makes us realize our MOs and find maybe in a lot of cases better tools to use than the ones we're using. Yeah, and I think one of the things, um, you mentioned this a while back and it kind of corresponds to what you just said there, you know, this kind of I think we as a society are hopefully starting to become more aware, our subsets of our society are starting to become more aware that, yes, we need to acknowledge when we experience pain. We need to acknowledge that certain things are painful. You know, certain things are hurtful. And it's fine to acknowledge that. It's fine to, you know, because when we push it down and ignore it, we do, you know, tend to create stories around it versus just acknowledging it and moving on. And I think also whether that is, I don't know what, what the causal being the researcher that I am, I don't know what the causal pathway is, Mm -hmm. but there's also this emergence around mindfulness and meditation and that kind of this mind body connection to you, which is also very much linked to this idea of 
being in the now, being in the present with our thoughts, being in the present with our emotions, recognizing when a thought is tied to an emotion, you know, being thoughtful and developing techniques around emotion regulation so that we don't just like get mad, but we, you know, there's a, a brief space in there where we recognize, oh, the, I, I feel my body is feeling anger. You know, I know what this tense, like, you know, tight feeling means. That means anger. Oh, let me see if I can stop before this becomes like full on me yelling at somebody rage. So, so I think part of, you know, coaching, mindfulness, meditation, all of these are kind of together, this kind of our society realizing, hey, we may not have the techniques or be the best at dealing with our emotions and dealing with the like stressors, painful aspects of life. And we need to figure out better ways to, to handle those events when they happen. And what would you say is the driving factor for uh, the situations when we know what we need to do, we're just not doing it. Like you mentioned meditation. And that's something that I keep telling myself I want to get better at. I do enjoy it. And when I do it, I do see the benefits of it. But for whatever reason, this last month, I have been real bad about putting time aside to do it, knowing that there are different areas of my life that would be improved if I just did it. Like, why, why do people do things like that? Like, and how do we overcome that? Yeah, well, one, I don't probably have the foolproof answer. If I did, I'd be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> well, I will give you some thoughts. Um, you know, I do, I do think we sometimes have to, I, I think it's a couple of things. One is I do think we have to like stop and think about, okay, what is it about this, you know, behavior that is important to me and why do I want to strive? So a lot of us are, are very type A personalities in certain aspects of our life and we're strivers. You know, mm -hmm. we want to strive to meet this goal or adopt this behavior because we know that it's something we need to do. We know it helps us. We know, you know, it's important. And so we're striving. And we're not okay with taking something that's a little less than. So, you know, if your meditation habit has been 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever, and that like on a daily basis, and that is the standard that you have set for yourself. And now for whatever reason, because of the way in which your life balances now, the way in which your like thought process is now, you know, whatever, you're not meeting that goal. And so you feel like you're like failed at that. And you're just not gonna like, oh, well, like I haven't done it. Or, oh, it's making me so mad that I can't like achieve this goal that I have set for myself. So, so sometimes you have to to say, hey, is it me striving for something that right now does not fit in my life? And so I need to mm. figure out instead of this 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it was a day, can I have a moment in the day where I am present and I am recognizing the now and that be good enough mm. and that be okay and be mm. okay with that. So sometimes we have to kind of that striving, we have to kind of recognize that that is striving and realize, hey, this is just where I am in my life right now. And then sometimes it's like the thought process that goes behind it. So right now I too am struggling with my meditation practice. Um, and part of it is 
the last session was super hard. Like it just, it didn't go well. Like I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't stop thoughts happening. I couldn't like stop looking at the clock. You know, I couldn't stop fidgeting. And so every time I go to quote unquote, get on the pillow, I like that comes up and I'm like, oh, but you failed and you were horrible at it. And, you know, and so I've had to say, hey, right now you are just not in the middle space to be like sitting on the pillow. So like I actually have a timer on my phone that like three times in the day it rings and I just say, hey, right now I'm going to be in the present. Like right now we're going to be mm. in the present. And, you know, and I'm also trying to kind of work through that story that I'm telling myself about, you know, this is you're horrible at this and this is going to be a stressful time the next time you go to your pillow and that you're not going to be able like it's going to be a stressful 15 minutes. So I'm having to like, you know, disengage from that story. And while I'm working on that, I'm trying to, you know, just have moments of present versus kind of dedicated time of presence. There was a meditation that I was doing where they were saying, like, if your mind wanders, that's fine. That's natural. Like, don't beat yourself up about that. And it's so easy to beat yourself up when it's like, here's the task. Oh, I didn't do it. I suck at this. Um, And that's one of the things, too, is just like there's a difference between recognizing when something could be better and telling yourself that you're horrible at it. Because one is more motivational and encouraging and like just recognizing uh, how you can – improve at it. And the other is just like not designed for progress. It's designed for bringing you down. And yeah. and it's those that you have to ignore. Well, we could go on and on. I've loved this conversation. I feel like we've given a lot of people some encouragement and some things to think about and uh, some things to move forward. Now let's transition to the end of the episode where we create something together. I think a natural thing for us to sort of create together here is if somebody was going to meet with you on something, like being given some action steps for them to try out over the next week or however much time you normally give people, um, like a, a maybe like a daily plan or a weekly challenge or, or set of challenges. Uh, does that sound like something that's along the lines of what you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, I think, you know, if I were to do a session with someone, yeah, you know, we would, we would come up with a, Hey, this is your homework, you know, something you're going to work on for the week. Yep. Okay. Give me some homework. So what does that start with? Is it me saying, uh, giving you what I want to work on? Yeah. Yes. What is, so what is one area or one specific thing based on what we've talked about today that you you're like, yeah, this is what I can latch on to and I'm going to try to work on over the next week. Well, one thing is losing weight. Another thing is I feel like I'm starting to get better about being motivated to plan my days better so that I can accomplish more. So I think it is like, I th- I, yeah, I'm going to go with losing weight because I feel like I have a lot of mental blocks there and setting myself up for success. Okay. So let me ask you this. So it's from just things that you've said and things that you've hinted at, um, and you tell me where I'm wrong. It seems like maybe fitting in, it seems like fitting in physical activity into your schedule has been problematic. Tell me where I'm wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's just that things have adjusted in my daily schedule a little bit that I have sort of 
not given myself a practical amount of time to uh, <laughs> go to the gym. Um, but I have done some things. Like I started having a healthier breakfast and um, uh, taking tabs because I got a Fitbit. So I'm like taking down uh, how many calories I'm burning a, a day. But now I need the next step of like thinking about how many calories I take in and working out and it goes like that. And I'm just sort of dragging my feet about going to the gym. What is, what do you think when you think about going to the gym, what is the smallest, if you break it all down, what is the smallest thing you think you could achieve that would get you one step further to making it to the gym? Not tomorrow, mm -hmm. not even this week. What is one small thing you could do that you think will get you closer to getting to the gym? Let's see. Maybe if I were to get up when my alarm went off. Okay. So this week, does it seem feasible that your action plan is going to be get up when your alarm goes off? Yeah. Okay. So this week, that's going to be your action step. And you know I'm going to text you at the end of the week and be like, so Jason, how did it go? Okay. That sounds good. All right, um, I'm putting note in my calendar. I'm going to call you a week from now. And we'll okay. Say, How is this getting up with your alarm every day? <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah, and that's and just to kind of like give the audience like a little bit of breakdown of that. So weight loss is huge. So mm -hmm. you really have to think about like what like what is it about weight loss? And then what is it about, in this case, your schedule and physical activity and then if you're just not feeling that like willpower, quote unquote, motivation, what is the smallest thing you think you can be successful at? Because remember, our brain likes positive reinforcement mm -hmm. that will get you one step closer. And then you just keep layering on. That sounds really good because 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago, I said, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to just get on top of this. And I did. And it was something that didn't seem particularly difficult for me to do because, you know, once I went to the gym two, three days in a row, which I immediately did, I was like, you know, yeah, this is what I do every day now. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't this big task. It, there wasn't, it wasn't this long gestating goal. Like I, I did it and I was doing it for years and then it just so, sort of fell off and I don't know why I'm lacking that motivation that I did at the time. Um, I guess they're just a bunch of different things that I'm feeling down about in my approach to losing weight. And I'm just like beating myself up about. So, yeah, I guess if I give myself a little thing to achieve, then I can get that little boost. Yeah. And you'd be surprised, like just having that one positive reinforcement, you're like, oh. Like I can do so much, you know, it starts to change that narrative you're giving yourself. The other thing too, is I, you know, I tell people this all the time and, you know, and it's, and I say it because it's incredibly true in my own life. You know, I, there are times where there's just a pattern of eating and physical activity that works. And then there just becomes a point where it just doesn't work anymore. And whether that schedule has changed or whether that's like, I've gotten a little off on eating and I just haven't recognized it. Mm -hmm. um, and I need to get back to tracking and kind of being more aware or, you know, it's just metabolism and like five years have gone by and like metabolism has slowed. So what worked before doesn't work now. It's just, it can be a variety of reasons reasons. But 
instead of like starting that negative story, just recognize, hey, I'm in a different point in my life than I was 10 years ago. Mm. And this is where I'm at now. And this is what works for my life now. Um, And that may be a new reality. And that may be something that's totally different than what worked for you 10 years ago. And that's okay. That Mm. is perfect normal and perfectly fine. You do not have to recreate what worked for you 10 years ago to have success now. There it is. Thanks, Brooke, so much for being on the podcast. Really great to talk to you again. It was great to talk to you as well, as always. Really great having her on. For more on her, go to brookeharmoncoaching.com. We recently shared in our newsletter a post from her site about small habits, which we talked a lot about in the interview. If you missed that post and our newsletter, you can go to her website and read it. Also, subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter so you don't miss great advice like that. It is all about stuff like this episode, offering tips from experts on comedy, life, and health. We also include festival submission info. Speaking of, don't forget to check out our festival post on thereitispod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thereitispod. We have links in bio to Brooke's stuff and our stuff, so go check it out. Until next time, be good to each other and wash those hands. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 